You're listening to Team Talk on ESPN Radio, 1017 The Team. And we are having a great time out here at Legend Sportsbook, Santa Ana Star Casino Hotel. I'm Joe O'Neill, Adam Deal, Sam Hauser, and joining us now on the Daniels Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning uh, hot t- Cool Take Hotline is Nick Cosmeter. Uh, and Nick, uh, you're uh, obviously a writer uh, for The Athletic that covers Broncos football. And, you know, a lot of people thought this favorable start uh, in the schedule to for the Broncos. The home game uh, against the Raiders and then uh, Washington was very favorable and the worst thing that could have happened is they go home or uh, get through those two games 0-2 and, two, and and here they sit going to Miami. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, obviously it was a season that uh, had a lot of change uh, in the offseason dating back to February when uh, John Payton was hired to come in and, and the new ownership group uh, hope sort of quickly turn this thing around, but the reality is this is always going to take time, right? This is a team that has um, not been to the playoffs for seven seasons. The team that's had six consecutive losing seasons is a team that owns a 15-game losing streak against the Chiefs. So there's some like really built-in foundational issues that Sean Payton is trying to turn around. You know, we saw some things in those first two games that are encouraging. If you've been watching the Broncos for the last seven years, they've had one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Well, right now the Broncos lead the league in points per drive. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a team that has found some things offensively, um, but yeah, has lost two close games, and now because of the way the schedule is, um, you're really a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, it, you know, most teams that drop their first two games at home don't simply go on to make the playoffs, um, but it is still early, and I think, I think there's been enough encouraging things from Sean Payton to say, Let's give this a little bit more time before the, uh, the the full panic alarm is pulled for the Broncos. No doubt about it. And then, you know, having Sean Payton there is going to uh, make the fans feel more comfortable than, say, you know, whoever had been their coach over those last number of years. Uh, you got to feel somewhat um confident in, in Sean Payton because we saw him for years perform uh, with the Saints. I'm curious, they're both professionals, obviously. Uh, what do you think, uh, your observations, the relationship with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson? I'm not trying to oversimplify things, but do you think, generally speaking, they work well together and are on the same page? Well, you know, obviously it's, it's two guys that have a long history in the league, right? Sean Payton was in New Orleans for 16 years, won a Super Bowl. Uh, Russell Wilson was a perennial Pro Bowl quarterback for a decade in Seattle where he also won a Super Bowl. And so you have two, two guys that on different ends of the spectrum have, have accomplished a lot. And so I think there's, there's a mutual respect just from that, that past success. Um, but clearly Sean Payton took over a quarterback in Russell Wilson who was coming off the worst season of his career. And, and so a, a lot of the narrative around here is whether he was going to be able to, you know, quote-unquote, fix Russell Wilson. I think a lot of it was just sort of getting back to and finding the things that gave him success as a player um, in, Seattle, in Seattle for for the majority of his time there. Um, and, and so, it, But it still has been, a, uh, I think, a learning process. They're both learning about one another. Um, you know, they're learning how to kind of push one another's buttons in the right way. And the bottom line is that Sean Payton, when you're given a five-year contract to be, you know, and, and are one of the highest-paid coaches in the NFL, he's been given a lot of latitude to come in and sort of, um, you know, see what he thinks needs to be done in order to turn this team around. And he'll kind of have that ultimate say. I think right now, again, there's there's encouraging signs. They they have to protect Russell Wilson better. He's already taken nine sacks in two games, 
but but he's seen the field, I think, a little bit better than he did a year ago. They're, they've certainly been more explosive through the first two weeks than they were a season ago. So there, there's encouraging signs there, and I think it would just fall into the category of it's a little bit too early to fully tell where this relationship is going to go, even though you know, I, I know some people like to get out in front of that and make predictions on it, and that's part of the business. But I, I just think we still need more data to fully know how this relationship is going to go. And uh, we're talking with Nick Cosmeter. He's the Broncos reporter for The Athletic. Um, the comeback that Washington had, totally uh, unexpected, uh, especially there at Denver, where over the years it, it has shown to be such a, a hard place to win, uh, really obviously deflating for the fans. What are, what are they saying on talk radio and around the town about uh, you know, that unfortunate loss in particular last Sunday? Yeah, it was a it was a brutal loss. There's no way around that. To be up 21 to three, like you mentioned, um, you know, Sean Payton. The, the stat was kind of wild during his uh, 15 seasons as the head coach in New Orleans. Um, his team had led by 18 points or more in a game 72 times. His team had won 72 of those games. He wow! Lost when leading by 18 or more in a game in his entire career, and sure enough, the Broncos. The Broncos do that. Not only do they lose, they need a hail mary on the on the final play of regulation to even pull it to within one score. That's how quickly things turned around on Sunday. So it was really disheartening. And I think the other thing that was disheartening was you saw a defense that was supposed to be the group that had the continuity that was a little bit ahead of the offense in terms of you know having a lot of familiar personnel, having a, a somewhat similar scheme to what they ran a year ago. And instead, that's been the group through two weeks that is really struggling. And so. They've, they've had a lot of injuries on that end. Now they're going to Miami to play one of the best passing offenses in the NFL, and they won't have Justin Simmons, the Pro Bowl safety, who is going to be out with a hip injury. So um, that defense has to be able to figure some things out and do so while dealing with a, a number of key injuries on that side of the ball. Yeah, well, and let's talk about that game here for a second, Nick. Of course, one of the secondary stories, I mean, the big thing for the Broncos is getting in the win column, but one of the other secondary parts of the story is Vic Fangio the former head coach, now he's the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. I, I, I mean, have have you guys been keeping an eye on what the Dolphins' defense has been doing? Because I know there there were a lot of mixed feelings about Vic Fangio, right? Obviously, his defenses were unstoppable, struggling to move the ball, but just with Vic Fangio being there in Miami now, just talk about you know the story that that element of this game on Sunday. Yeah, I think there's been a little of some retrospective appreciation for the job that Vic Fangio did. You know. He, he was here three years, and the bottom line was that he went 19-30, and 30, didn't make the playoffs, and that's ultimately why he was fired after three seasons. But he had dig a little deeper into that, and he had to deal with the COVID season in 2020, and the Broncos were among um, the teams with the most absences due to COVID that year. Um, you know, there, there, there was ownership change getting ready to take place during his tenure, and through all of that, his, 20, his 2021 team, his final season in Denver, they were 7-6. and six. Um, you know, heading into a game with Cincinnati at home, Teddy Bridgewater goes down in the, uh, in the first quarter of that game, and Denver ends up losing its last four games, and Fangio is fired. But th- there were some things in that 2021 season that said this team is starting to kind of get on the right track. Well, since Fangio got fired, this team is five and fourteen, um, still hasn't made the playoffs, and is, is one of the worst teams in football over that stretch. So I think there's some some retroactive, at least acknowledgement of the job you know that he had. Um, and certainly his defenses continue to do well. Uh, you know, this, this defense for Miami early on uh, has, has done well. They had a shootout in week one, but when it really mattered on the Chargers, you know, final couple drives, Fangio dialed up some pressures that got to Justin Herbert and ultimately helped Miami win that game. 
And, of course, they were really dominant in week two against the Patriots. So the, the Broncos fully expect, um, you know, Fangio to, to send wrinkles their way. Uh, you know, that's what he's well known for. He gets after you without having to blitz, which allows him to put a cover over the defense and not give up big plays. So the Broncos know they're in for a fight in terms of moving the ball, in terms of scoring in the red zone, uh, because they are so familiar with what Vic Fangio does. Nick Kosmider with us here on Team Talk ESPN Radio 101.7. The team Broncos reporter for The Athletic. Broncos taking on the Miami Dolphins week three of the NFL season. And, you know, you talk about the, the Broncos have, being able to, to move the ball, having to move the ball against the Dolphins here, Nick. This wide receiver group has been so hard to get a read on for the last couple of years now. Obviously, you know, it's a different time now with Sean Payton, but Jerry Judy just seems to have really had some moments of, of MIA. Cortland Sutton's doing what you'd want him to do. Obviously, Marvin Mims, a huge speed threat, the rookie out of Oklahoma. But just w- what's been your read on this wide receiver group and where the, you know, where the ceiling is still at with Russell Wilson in there? It just seems like they haven't gotten anywhere close to where that could be, that ceiling, with this group. Yeah, the problem is they, they've just struggled to have continuity with that unit um, you know, for a long time. And I go back to 2020. This was a team that um, you know, it had Cortland Sutton. He was coming off a, a Pro Bowl season in 2019. Um, they saw that Tim Patrick was starting to become a guy that could be a really good possession receiver, a really, you know, uh, sort of valuable clutch catch kind of guy. And so they went out in 2020 and they used their first two draft picks on Jerry Judy, who you mentioned, and then also KJ Hamler. And they really saw this, this group as a, as a young group of four receivers that had different skill sets that they could really grow around. Well, those four guys ended up playing a grand total of one full half of football together. That, that's how frequently they've been injured. Um, that's how frequently guys have been in and out of the lineup. Cortland Sutton ended up tearing his ACL in the second game of that 2020 season. Uh, uh, K.J. Hamler was, was in and out of that year, but then in 2021 he tore his ACL. Um, and so it's just been this constant barrage of injuries. And then, of course, Cortland, uh, Tim Patrick, rather, after yeah. a three-year $30 million deal, he, he gets hurt in training camp ahead of 2022, doesn't play the whole year. He gets hurt on the same practice day, practice number five this year, and is out for all of 2023. Really, really heartbreaking for, for a guy that, um, you know, really did it the hard way to get to the league and, and earn that contract and, and has not been able to now help them for what will be two full seasons. So they just have not been able to get guys on the field consistently. Even this year, Jerry Judy dealt with the injury right at the end of training camp that prevented him from playing in week one. So, their best chance to, to reach whatever ceiling they might have is to, to keep guys on the field to to be able to get you know get consistent production out of Marvin Mims, which will mean featuring him more. I think they've kind of they slow played him a little bit as a rookie, trying not to overload him too much. Um, but but I think his talent will will sort of force them. I think to give him more opportunities, and so hopefully if he can start being that guy that continuously stresses defense over defenses over the top of the field, that will open up more things for. You know, guys like Corlin Sutton, Jerry Judy, Brandon Johnson is, is a second-year guy who caught two touchdowns last week that they really like. Mm-hmm. That's now kind of their main forward, and, and the, the, the quest will be to try to keep these guys together um, You know, for, for, for a longer stretch of games, and they've been able to keep their top four guys together to this point for a long time. Yeah, no doubt they're just brutal, like you said, with Tim Patrick. Just it was such a sad story for a guy who's worked so hard to get to this point now in the NFL. Looking at this matchup here, uh, Nick, with, with the Dolphins, I mean, for my money, the matchup that I'm going to be keeping an eye on the most is uh, Patrick Sertan, whatever responsibility he's going to have, if it's on Tyreek Hill, if it's on Jalen Waddle, just Patrick Sertan against one of those top guys for the Dolphins. What's a matchup that you're going to be keeping a close eye on uh, in this game with the Dolphins? 
Yeah, that, that'll certainly be one of them, right? Like, no one person can cover Tyree Kill. That's, that's an impossible task. He's a guy that you have to really try to zone up um, as, as best you can. But there will be moments where you really do have Sertan on him one-on-one. It's a cool story, right? Pat Sertan's father, uh, Patrick Sertan, uh, he played for the Dolphins for a long time. So Pat Sertan grew up, you know, in the locker room, kind of being a little kid around those Dolphins teams. And this will be the first time that he has played there um, as a pro, right? Grew up in grew up in South Florida, so it's a neat moment for him, and I'm sure he wants to be able to kind of meet that meet that moment in a big way. He had a great first week against Devontae Adams, really limited, you know, that that All Pro receiver when he was locked onto him. Um, so, so he's a guy that you feel good about if if he for whatever reason is matched up one on one against Jalen Waddle and, um, and and or Tyreek Hill. Uh, you know, the issue is that they, you know, he can't cover both of them on any one given play, and the Broncos. Given their their injuries in the secondary, have just had a hard time, um, you know, matching up with with opposing teams' wide receivers on a consistent basis. They're going to have to step up in a way we haven't seen so far this year. I'd be interested to see if Riley Moss, who's a third round rookie, hasn't played yet. He had a train camp injury. He might get a chance to get out there on Sunday. They they could use a big lift from somebody like that in the secondary. All right, Nick. Thank you so much for filling us in. Obviously, a lot of Denver Bronco fans here in New Mexico and appreciate you bringing us the latest. That's Nick Cosmider, uh, 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 Broncos reporter for The Athletic right here on ESPN Radio 101.7 The Team. All right, a few more minutes when we come back. Uh, we're going to get into the Notre Dame-Ohio State game and, of course, like finish up by talking about New Mexico on the road at UMass. They, they should be there right now. Coach Gonzalez told us the other day that they were leaving at 10 a.m. Mountain. It was going to be a four-and-a-half-hour trip. So uh, they are staying in Connecticut because they couldn't get a hotel anywhere in the vicinity of Amherst. No surprise. That's a, a place where people go this time of year, big-time tourism uh, up that way, Martha's Vineyard and such. So the Lobos are playing about or staying about 40 miles away in Connecticut, and then they'll play tomorrow at 1.30 Mountain Time on ESPN+. Plus. All right, we'll hit those two games when we come back. Joe Neal and Adam Deal live from Santa Ana Star Casino, the Legends Sportsbook. Stop by and say hi. You're listening to Team Talk ESPN Radio 1017, the team. 